0: Thank you, lead team. So we are now, once again, we're going to head on to Paul's second missionary journey. But we're going to actually conclude a second missionary journey today. And then Pastor Todd will pick up next week. And he'll be speaking for a few weeks. So we're going to head now back to our map. And up in the top left, you'll see where we are eventually, uh, where we've eventually gotten to. We've gotten to Corinth. So last week we were in Athens. Uh, Corinth is about 53 miles from Athens, just to give you an idea of the distance. Now, uh, Corinth is an interesting city in that it's actually far larger, it's one of the largest cities in the known world at this time. Corinth is actually ten times larger than Athens. And it was known for sexual immorality. We talked about the temple that was in Athens that, over, that was kind of overarching the whole city. And then Corinth has a similar plateau on which was the temple of Aphrodite in Greek, and then the Romans called it Venus. And at the time that Paul was arriving at the city... Uh, The Temple of Aphrodite had a thousand temple prostitutes, women that would be sent out in the evenings to ply their wares. Basically, to uh, be called a Corinthian was to talk about or be a derogatory term related to your morals. In fact, for many centuries, the, the term was to Corinthianize would be just to talk about the immorality of a people. And so this is the, this is the place in which Paul is arriving. And when he arrives there, this is uh, a modern-day uh, rendering of what this might have looked like, sitting above the city. <clears throat> but how did Paul arrive in Corinth? So he has had these different... Things taking place, and now he's left Athens. He's arriving in Corinth. And it tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 that he arrived in weakness and fear. In weakness and fear. That doesn't seem like a great way to arrive in a new place of ministry. It doesn't seem like a good starting point. Um, 1 Corinthians 2 3 through 5 says, I came to you in my weakness with great fear and trembling my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power so this is this is how paul arrived what would have caused him to arrive in fear and weakness well we could talk about a few things for one his ministry in athens from a human standpoint didn't go all that great There weren't a ton of converts, and again, another place in which he's kind of pushed out. So he's had this history of going places, you know, whether it's Philippi or Thessalonica, you know, wherever, it seems like he somehow gets pushed out, even in Berea where things were going well, the people came from Thessalonica and got rid of him. So maybe it's, it's partly because ministry, in a human sense, in his mind, has not been going all that great. Or maybe it's because he's going to have to return to tent making, which he does here, meaning that the funds have dried up. He doesn't have the adequate funds to give himself full time to the ministry. That might have caused him to be in weakness. He didn't have anybody. He was all alone when he arrives in Corinth. He doesn't have Sil- Silas and Timothy at this point when he arrives. He doesn't have any partners. He just arrives by himself. So he's got really nothing going for him, and he's coming into this city that, again, in a human sense, you're going to say, you know, I don't think anything good's going to happen here. I mean, just look at this place. But how, how are we in relation to fear and weakness If I were to ask you to raise your hands, you know, how many of you have been in weakness at different times? I would hope that every person would raise your hand. How many of you have been in fear? I would hope that every person would raise your hand because that's the reality of us. We think of the Apostle Paul as some, at times we think of him as some superhuman, but he's, he's a man. He's a person just like you and me. And when difficulties come, you know, it doesn't mean that just immediately, everything, you know, he just walks around with a smile on his face. Uh, you know, people ask him, you know, how are you today, Paul? He said, well, if I were any better, I'd be twins. No, he doesn't, that's not what it means to be going around with, with joy, but he is coming in fear and weakness, and we should recognize this in our own lives, that oftentimes we have been in fear and weakness. So here he comes and now he's going to express that I'm not, it's not going, if anything good happens, it's not because I've got some great wisdom in myself or I'm going to have some incredible argument that all of a sudden people are going to be magnetically drawn to and be transformed. Every believer is in a continual battle between three desires and this includes starting, you know, we're here with Paul but it's true for all of us. These desires. We have greater desires, lesser desires, and sinful desires. Oftentimes, I mean, we might be hung up in some sinful desires that hinder us and put us into weakness. But Paul, I think he is talking in himself maybe about some of these lesser desires that in and of themselves might not be bad. For him to have uh, financial things being helped that he would have the financial needs met that he needs, that's not a bad thing. To have partnership, that's not a bad thing. To maybe not receive persecution, uh, that's not a bad thing. So these, But they're lesser desires. The greater desire is that I'm going to do whatever the Lord wants and be in whatever frame that God wants in order that he might be glorified. So that's what he's saying, is that it's not bad to have some wisdom, but... If people are going to really be transformed, it's not going to be because of my wisdom. And that's true of all of us. So we are in the same place. What is it that controls us? Is it our greater desires? Or is it these lesser desires that I need to have? I've got to, have, I've got to be financially secure. I've got to have all this taken care of. I've got to make sure that I've got... If, if I'm going to, I'm going to try to reach out. to, But I only do that if I get, have these things in place. Um, I wish I had some better friends to help me along the way. I wish I had more support from my family, whatever it might be. Those are still, again, not necessarily bad, but are lesser desires. And oftentimes that can get us into the sinful desires, making demands of God. I didn't, you didn't provide me what I needed. Why did things turn out my way? Why did this happen this way? So they can easily, once you get away from the greater desire in your heart and move into the lesser, it can not be too long unless it's checked. It can move into that category of sinful desire. So Paul's here in weakness and fear when he arrives. And he's like us. So there's four gospel words that are in this passage, and we're going to get to them as we read the beginning of chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens, went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So these words, reasoned and persuaded, we've been talking about these for a number of weeks. So I just wanted to make sure that they're up there. You, nothing has changed. He's still going to try to reason and persuade. And I put on your notes there, kind of in parentheses, this is the part of the human responsibility, As Paul was saying in in 1 Corinthians, is that not anything's going to happen unless the Spirit's power is being made evident. But my responsibility is, is to reason and persuade. And now we're going to get into a third word, and that's proclaim. Although we've talked about this before, in your version, I'm not sure what it might say. Here in the NIV, it says, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching thats I mean, it could be translated that way, and that is true that he did that. But really, the word is probably better translated in the NET, the New English Translation Bible, that Paul was absorbed with proclaiming the word. He was absorbed with proclaiming the word. So he was preaching the gospel, but that, there's more fullness to that Greek term. That they're using here. It's a, he was absorbed with it. And what is this blessing that has happened? Is that now Silas and Timothy have arrived? And guess what? There's some encouragement in some of these lesser areas. Paul has been brought finances, we learn. And so now he can fully devote himself back to this ministry. What an encouragement that must have been for him. And then this fourth word is Testify. And this one we want to just talk about a little bit because this is what it says, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. This is what he came to do. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24, this is what we read during our time with the Lord's Supper. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Do you see the beginning of this part? Jews demand a sign, and Greeks look for wisdom. So this is what he's coming into, is that the Jews that he's going to interact with at the synagogue, they demand a sign. Give me a sign that this is... And this is the same thing they demanded of Jesus. And now the Greeks, they're asking for, what great wisdom is this that we can understand? And so we want to comprehend all of this. And Paul says you know what, this is what the people might want, but I'm going to give them what they actually need. We're going to preach Christ crucified. This is what they need. It's not going to be based on my wisdom. It's going to be foolishness to to those that are demanding a sign or they're seeking some type of human wisdom. But if the power of God is working, this is going to be transformational to them. And so nothing has changed. Just like when we talked in the Lord's Supper, nothing's changed in 2,000 years. If anybody is going to be transformed, it's going to be the Spirit of God working through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That message. And actually, the word that I just want to stop a little bit for this Greek word that's testify here, it means, to testify means if you know something to be true, you are responsible for sharing it. If you know something to be true, you are responsible for sharing it. We will be held accountable for this. There's an interesting story, a number of them that I could go to, but just for the sake of our message, I'm going to go to one in 2 Kings Kings 7. There are four lepers, and the city had been besieged, and after the people left, there there was plunder outside of the city. There's plunder left and a lot of food and these four lepers, they go and they get this plunder and they start they start feeding on all this food. And then this is what happens. But it brought with it great responsibility. So they said, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. That's the same thing of the responsibility. We're not doing right if we're not sharing this good news with everybody. And I, we could go to passage after passage in, the, passage in the Old Testament where it's a similar idea that if, if we have this good news, it is our responsibility to testify, to share it. It's not something to be held in and kept to ourselves. We have a responsibility. So then what happens is, but then, verse 6 but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So this word here, whatever in your version might say, became abusive, whatever it says, that actually is the Greek word word blasphemo, to blaspheme. So what is happening here is they're becoming abusive because it may seem like it's being abusive towards Paul, but the reality is, is that they are blaspheming the message that he is bringing. And because they are blaspheming the message that Paul is bringing, Paul is going to shake out his clothes, wash his hands of them, Your blood is on your own head. I have come to tell you the truth, but you have totally ignored it. You're on your own. Because you are blaspheming the message of Jesus Christ. You're blaspheming the name, the only name that can save you. What more can I say at this point? And now we come into kind of our main section of this passage, Acts 18, 9 through 10. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So here we're going to have two commands and three encouragements from this from this passage, from those two verses. And the first one is, do not be afraid. Paul... Is being directed directly from God in this vision is to this is a command. Do not be afraid. And we should all remember that any time God commands us to do anything in Scripture, He provides the means in order for that to happen. He's not going to command something that you also don't have the ability within His power of the Spirit to be able to accomplish. Otherwise, He would be a cruel God. So He is He is saying, Do not be afraid. He is going to provide the means for you. And it's not any different than any of us. God is telling us the same thing. We are promised the same thing, although this is a promise directly to Paul. Again, we could go to many places where this promise is for all of us, is to not be afraid. And the second one is keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Are we ever in that place in which we think we've tried you know, we tried. So uh, it's not worth bringing it up again, or it's not worth talking about. I don't think you know. Paul could even have been thinking Corinth. I don't think it's the place. You know, I, I am guilty of this very thing. Is that I know that how many times in my life have I met with somebody? I've interacted with somebody. I had a coworker, not not here at the church, but before being a pastor, and or other people that I've met that I think no way. There's just no way that person... I just can't picture that person coming to Christ. I've been guilty of that. We've got to overcome thats that. We're going to even see in here, this happens over and over again, that God delights in doing things we think are impossible. And that's oftentimes with people. So keep on speaking. Do not be silent. This last week, I was reading the testimony of Shodanka Johnson. He's uh, a church leader in Sierra Leone. He was the William Wilberforce uh, winner from uh, this year, and that they basically they give an award here in the states to somebody that has impacted greatly their sphere of influence. So Shodanka, uh, he was in Sierra Le- Leone, and he felt called one. Service. He was the only one in the service. He felt called to go north in Sierra Leone to the Muslims. And he worked with them for five years, came to love the people. And then a civil war uh, broke out in Sierra Leone. And he had been captured a number of times and in prison. But one time that he was captured, uh, he, was, he had his arms tied behind his back in the, the the man who was the commander of this group just basically said, I'm, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to shoot you in the head. He had his gun in his hand. I'm going I'm to kill you. And Shadanka said, you know, I, I thought, if this, is, if this is my time to go, then I'm willing to go, but Lord, please, let me share the gospel with this man. Give me one more opportunity, maybe that this man could come to Christ. And so he, he, with his head bowed, because he said it was hard with his arms, he just kind of looked up what he could. He said to the, the commander, he said, could I have five minutes just to talk with you? And the commander said, that's fine. You're a dead man anyway. So take your five, man, five minutes. And he said, you know, I just want to tell you that if I die right now, I know that I'm going to go immediately and spend eternity in heaven. But unless you Trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You have no hope of that. At the end of the five minutes, the commander said, Untie this man. There's something wrong with his head. Just get rid of him. And so he let him go. And a week later, the commander came looking for him and asked him, he said, No one has ever spoken to me like that before. You know, could we be friends? And it was a short time after that that this commander and then two of his other soldiers came to Christ, were baptized, and are ministering now. So these aren't just things that happened a long time ago. These are things that are happening all over the world that God is pleased to do. Things that we think are impossible. Situations in which he thinks you might go from thinking you're going to die to having somebody that's going to kill you, wanting you dead, that in a few weeks could come to Christ. That's all. That's all within the power of God. Ours is to keep on speaking and not to be silent. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So now let's come back to this couple verses again and we'll get to the encouragements. So, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. So the first of these encouragements is, I am with you. When we focus on the greater desires that we talked about earlier, God often provides us with these lesser desires. Things that are... They're not essential to us, but God provides them because he loves us. If we focus on these greater, he often provides these lesser desires. We talked a couple of months ago in a message about divine appointments, meaning that there are no accidents. That the way that God works, that you come into a a place with somebody or you have this situation happen, that God is providing all the time for us divine appointments, although we don't have them on our calendar and oftentimes we miss them. But he's providing divine appointments. So let's go back to the beginning of this. That I am with you. Part of what he is providing for him is Priscilla and Aquila. Now it might not; it just might have seemed seemed like an offhand comment as we read it. But we find out that again, Paul is coming in weakness and fear, and at some time early on in his time in Corinth, he meets Priscilla and Aquila. Well, how did that happen? Well, Priscilla and Aquila just happened to be kicked out of Rome because the emperor Claudius was kicking out all Jews. So they left Rome and came to Corinth, and they had a divine appointment with Paul. If that hadn't happened, they never would have become Paul's uh, partners in ministry. They couldn't have been there to encourage him. So there's this divine appointment that, here we are, Priscilla and Aquila have arrived, and now we we are partners together. One chapter back, in 17, we learned that God even sovereignly chooses where we will live. So it was God's sovereign choice to move Priscilla and Aquila from Rome to Corinth. In the scheme of things, people might have thought that that's a happy coincidence. But no, all of these things, God is working together for his glory and our good. A divine appointment. Paul's other ministry partners, Silas and Timothy, they arrive. And not only do they arrive, but they have financial support with them. And we read about this uh, even in 2 Corinthians. So here we have that God, these things that he came possibly worrying about, that could have been stresses for him, that brought him in weakness and fear, these but he, since he focused on the greater desire of this message of the cross, God provided him with these lesser desires. He provided him with financial assistance, with friendship, with partnership, with all of these incredible blessings. Number two, I will protect you. Not only that, not only is he going to protect you, but... I'm going to send you news of how God is protecting others. Remember, we had all this persecution back in, Thess- in Thessalonica. Well, in the letter to First Thessalonians that he writes from Corinth, he finds out uh, he finds out that the church is doing well. The persecuted church in Thessalonica is doing well. They're, God is protecting them. And now we're going to come into, the, into verse twelve here. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. The Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matters yourselves. I will not be judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. So we find that here, uh, they've brought him in front of uh, this, the, the leader of the area, the proconsul. And they're hoping... Uh, actually, this is, this is the second leader. It's Sosthenes of the, of the synagogue. The first leader, Crispus, he came to Christ already. Crispus and his whole household came to Christ a little bit earlier in the chapter. And now this is the second leader. And now he's, he's going to be building up this. Um, he's built up the, the riot toward Paul. And we're going to bring him before the proconsul. let's expel this man once and for all. But I I wonder, with all that this has happened, after Paul, he was ready to give his defense. In this case, he didn't even have to speak. I'm sure Paul was ready to have some eloquent message, but God said, Paul, not needed. And after it wasn't needed, I I wonder if Proverbs 21.1 came to his mind that the king's heart is in the Lord's hand and he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. God, he did that. I didn't even have to say anything. And you've made it so that now we are safely, safe to free and free to move about here in Corinth. And he stayed there for a year and a half. Now this promise, of course, is this particular promise is unique to Paul. But we have similar things that nothing can happen to us unless it is part of God's plan. Unless he sanctions it, nothing evil can happen to us. He tells us that not even a sparrow falls to the ground without, his heavenly fa- without our Heavenly Father ordaining it. If He cares that much about birds, how much more does He care about you? So nothing will happen to harm us apart from God's sanctioning it, ordaining it. And even then, it would be for His glory Number three, I have ministry already prepared for you. So when he said, I have many people in this city, it's, it's a, this is an encouragement to Paul, is that I've got ministry ready for you. I'm going to allow you to partner with me. Many people are going to come to Christ in this city. I know the end from the beginning, Paul. But I'm going to use you. I'm going to use Priscilla and Aquila. I'm going to use Silas and Timothy. I'm going to use the believers here. And there's going to be many people coming to Christ in Corinth. And I've prepared this ministry for you. So keep speaking up. Keep moving forward. The overarching encouragement is God's sovereignty. That's the overall encouragement here. Now, I did want to mention here that this would be incredibly encouraging if, this, if you had been a part of this. But do you remember what I just mentioned? I mentioned Sosthenes. He was the leader of the synagogue. And he came with this group ready to do whatever, maybe even kill Paul, if that was going to be allowed. But instead, the tables are turned, and Sosthenes gets beaten. And the proconsul doesn't care. End of story, right? No. 1 Corinthians 1 1, we find out that Sosthenes, not only is he a believer, he's now a ministry partner with Paul and he's probably his secretary. Sosthenes gets saved. He was wanting Paul dead and out of there. Now Sosthenes is a believer and a ministry partner and he's with. Later on, he's with Paul in Ephesus, helping him to write the book to first, of First Corinthians. How God can use things that we think are impossible. I don't think Paul stood there that day with Sosthenes and this group, berating him and getting ready that he's thinking, I think he'd, he'd make a good ministry partner. I don't think that ever crossed his mind at that point. But that's what God chose. So, important reminder, every endeavor must be qualified with this statement, if it is God's will. As we go down a little bit further, as Paul is getting ready to wrap up his second missionary journey, but as he, Paul, left, this is in Ephesus, so he had left Corinth, in 18, and they sailed over, they got over to Ephesus, and they were there just briefly. He went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, but as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And that's the key. All of our endeavors must be prefaced with that, if it's God's will. That must be part of it. There's a line that appears in 85 to 90% of all movies that just gets under my skin every time, and it's it's only two words. I promise. I promise I'll be back. I promise I'll get you that puppy. After I kill all these people, I'll be back. I promise. I can. I'm, I promise I will rescue from all this danger that you're in. We hear that over and over as if somehow they have control over all of these details. Life's not like that. God's in control. So that's what we must say. If it's God's will, then we should do this. We should plan. We should make plans. We should do things that are thinking forward. But it all must must be with that caveat. If it's God's will. That way, if things don't turn out the way we had hoped... Uh, that way we had planned, we understand it must not have been God's will. I remember making a video for my children in 2003 before I was going to fly to Ireland and speak um, at a missions conference in Ireland. And I just made this because when your kids are small, they, they, sometimes they get worried you're going to fly across the ocean and can you promise that you'll be back? I said, I can't make that promise. I'm, I'm not going to lie even to small kids. I can't promise that. It's up to the Lord. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. If it's his will, I'll come back. And I made a video for them, though, and I told them how much I loved them and everything for them to watch while I was gone. But just that knowing that whatever happens, it's in the Lord's hands. And put your trust in him. So some personal reflection. Do I recognize that not proclaiming the gospel is disobedience? Remember back to the word testify we talked about earlier, is that when you know the good news, it's a responsibility for us to share it. Now, take these with you. Number two, what do I fear? Do I truly believe God is sovereign and will always do what is best for my ultimate good? These are questions we should, we should answer. We need answers too. So what is it that I fear? Here's a, a, could be a personal prayer. Lord, help me to remember in the dark that which I learned in the light. This can be very helpful because if things are going well for you, then now is the time to, as you're soaking up the word, that you are gleaning it and believing it and you're anchoring yourself to it so that when the dark days come, help me to remember the things that I learned in the light. And lastly, what am I doing that demonstrates I am preparing for the ministry God has planned for me? What am I doing that demonstrates I'm preparing for the ministry God has planned for me? I don't know what the ministry is that God has planned for each of you. But God has a ministry planned for you. Are you doing the things necessary in order to prepare? And you could take some of these things from the message Today about trusting in him, speaking up, taking the good news to others, putting these things in the Lord's hands and knowing that he is sovereign over the results. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for our time together today. May we honor you with our lives. May we take the words that we hear from your word and make proper application to our lives. Help us to be comforted and encouraged by how you work and how you have worked throughout history. And Lord, we are still here because you have many people still that you're going to bring into your kingdom and you're going to allow us to partner with you in some way. Help our eyes to be opened and our hearts to be focused because in reality, Lord, Everyone is a tent maker. Meaning that whatever occupation we have, that is secondary to the main occupation of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So help us each to make that our life's work. That you might be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.